This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Thank you so much for being here with us this afternoon. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Mary, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, but I'm going to reverse that because I feel like you always ask me that and I never ask you that. Jason, how are you doing today? What if I had a bad answer? I don't know. Life is terrible. (laughs) I'm throwing you completely off. I'm struggling. No, no. Everything is good. Uh, I think think all the shopping is done. I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers here. I'm sure there's going to be something. Something's going to arrive in the mail. I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and be like, oh my gosh, I forgot it. But that's okay. I, I, we're feeling pretty good right now. Good. Feeling pretty good. Thank good. you for asking. That's, that's good. I that's never nice. do that. I appreciate I it. I just realized that on the way here this morning. Well, I'm very excited because we've got a return guest here Yay. in the studio. And I'm, I'm, we're very, very uh, cautious and sparing about giving this title, but friend of the show. Friend of the I'm show. Gonna, I'm going to get in him. the studio. A- Friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Andy Ross here with us. And if you don't remember, Andy is staff chaplain at Wake Med Hospital. Andy, thank you for being back on the show. I'm very excited to be here. Um, like you just said, I spend most of my day asking people how they're doing. Like, how are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? That's how true. Are you doing? How are yeah. you doing? And every once in a while, I'll say hello to someone and they'll look at me like in the eye, in the face. And they'll say, how are you? And it just takes me aback. I'm like, what do you mean? How? I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, um, I'm, I'm okay. I'm so it, it's nice. It's nice when it's, I'm sure from your perspective, you're always asking people how they're doing. That's true. It is. It's well, nice Mar- to be asked. You and Mary are so kind. So uh, <laughs> Mary I, is I should very kind. expect well. it from both of you. You should. Well, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, sorry to throw you off, Jason. Um, very excited to have you, Andy. I'm Really excited. I saw Andy. I ran into Andy at WakeMed. We were there for a lot uh, transitions talks, which is mm. one of the things that Transitions puts on at WakeMed. It's a um, we do like these classes for the staff at WakeMed and provide them lunch. Lunch, good lunch, yeah. delicious, delicious <laughs> lunch. I was about to say we ran into each other mm. in the lunch line. Um, we were getting pasta, and uh, and I was like, you. Need to be on the show again. No, I don't think that's how it went. I think I asked you. I think I said to you, can I be on the show again? Maybe that was like it. That. I think I I think I I found some kind of clever way to like put bring the show up in a way that you'd be like, Oh, maybe you could do it again. No, I guess I could do it again. I think, <laughs> I think you also <laughs> You also caught me in my feels that day, and I think I said that to you. You, I think you asked me how I was doing, um, and I said, well, um, I'm fine. I think I said something along the lines of, it's fine. I said, it's the holidays, and the holidays are hard. Um, and then you were like, I want to be on the show. And I was like, why don't mm. we do? Why don't we talk about that? Mm. Um, it, it is hard, and um, I'm excited that you're here. Before we dive into all the things mm. I want to ask you and things I want to talk about, I, I I want the our listeners to know why you became a chaplain. Everyone out there, um, why did you decide to become a chaplain? And tell us a little bit about your role and what you do. 
It's interesting. I don't think I decided to be a chaplain. I think life decided that I should be a chaplain or I could be. Um, I'm not going to tell the whole story because that would take hours and hours and hours, but I found my way into religion and spirituality and my interests and my loves uh, through performance art. Mm -hmm. I was a comedian, and I was on stage in Los Angeles and New York and Chicago, and um, over time, I was telling these stories, I was performing these things, and I became interested in mythology and religion, and I found out that that's what I really love. Mm -hmm. So when I came back to North Carolina, I studied religion. I became ordained within a spiritual community um, I worked for for about two years. And then for about 10 years, I was an independent minister. So I'm very funky. I'm very progressive. I study all different religious traditions. And so it's, it's a little more difficult. It has it had been more difficult for me to find um, ways to make money and to provide for my family. So I was doing a lot of weddings. I was speaking. I was writing. And I remember I came to this point where I said, you know what? This is the last thing I'm going to do as a minister. I was producing these kind of spiritual events. And I'm like, I'm going to put it all out there. If this doesn't work, I'm going to let it go. And I'm just going to work <laughs> at a restaurant and do something else. Cause I also waited tables because that's what you do to make money. And so the, the, um, the thing I put together called the spirit sessions failed wonderfully. <laughs> and on the last one, I was like, okay, I'm done now. Um, and it's kind of this holy moment of, okay, you know, uh, God, Tao, source, spirit, Elohim, Jehovah, Allah, <laughs> Whatever you want from me, I'll just do it. I'm tired of working so hard to try to craft my life. Mm -hmm. And maybe a week after that, I was sitting down with someone having coffee, and they said, you know what? You should be a chaplain. And I didn't even know what a chaplain was. I had mm -hmm. no mm -hmm. idea. Uh, specifically as a non-Christian, um, I had no idea. I just assumed that all uh, chaplains were Christians and all of them had the same kind of background. Like, no, no, talk to my friend. And I talked to him who had gone through clinical pastoral education at Wake Med, which is kind of chaplain training in the hospital. And uh, we had like a two-hour conversation. That was November. And I started my internship in January. Wow. And I've been at Wake Med ever since. I went from internship to residency to being a staff member. And I absolutely fell in love with it. I was like, this work challenges me to be more of myself than I've ever been before. So that's, that's how I, that's a very short answer, I promise, about how I fell into chaplaincy. That's amazing. I, I want to touch on, you were talking a bit about religion, Chaplain, chaplaincy, is that a word? I don't know. I think I, I'm saying it a lot today. Chaplaincy? A chaplain. Uh, it's a word now. <laughs> our office is uh, pastoral care, spiritual care, Chaplain, chaplain C. Yeah, I mean, okay, I mean, chaplain use C. Use a word. Use a word. Um, it, it's a word. not necessarily. It doesn't always mean religion. Can you talk to us about that? I think classically, um, chaplains in hospital settings um, have been religious to a uh, you know to a pretty high degree, because you know uh, folks from different religious traditions come into the hospital to support their parishioners. But over time, and I, I hopefully everyone will recognize this, over time, our culture and the world as different religious traditions kind of hit one another and um, go into conversation with one another, we have become fascinated with this thing called spirituality. And, you know, for the last 30, 40, 50 years, we've been asking the question, what does it mean to be spiritual but mm -hmm. not religious? What does it mean to be spiritual and religious? Mm -hmm. uh, can you be both? Can you be neither? So I think... Our position in the hospitals have developed or has developed as the population has developed. Mm -hmm. And so now there's a lot of different people in hospital settings who are there for many different reasons. Mm -hmm. Hospitals have birth to death and everything in between. 
And when they're there, they have a deep need because something in their life has shifted, either in a positive or negative way. And so we find that showing up and being present with them, whether in a religious context or not, does something to the soul, the spirit, the self. Mm -hmm. So no, now, you know, chaplains are religious. There's agnostic chaplains. There's humanist chaplains. There's chaplains from all different religious traditions. So it's just about a human meeting a human and showing up for them. And a lot of times that is religious, but a lot of times that's not. Does that answer the question? Yes, it does. You did a beautiful <laughs> job with that. What does a day in the life look like? You you get to work, you know, what do you do? How does this start? What do you do? Wow, what do I do? <laughs> um, well, we, um, we're we big into self-care, and mm-hmm. we're and our department is big into taking care of each other. So my day begins, we always begin with a group. Uh, we get together as a group and do some kind of meditation, devotion, some kind of reading, some kind of prayer, some kind of – sometimes it's music or song. So we all come together as a That's group. Awesome. And then I go off and I make sure I have a moment, if I can, to take care of myself, to do some reading, to do some reflecting, to get centered so I can bring myself to the work. Mm -hmm. And then it's responding to the needs in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So um, nurses will put in consults um, that this patient would like to see a chaplain, this family would like to see a chaplain, uh, this patient's not doing well and we think that they could see you. Um, so, and then there's, of course, codes in the hospital that the on-call chaplains are responding to, traumas, mm. code blues, things like that. So in between responding to those needs, our main job is to be present. So I have areas of the hospital that I'm responsible for, mm-hmm. and then I'm responsible for the staff and basically the whole hospital. I do staff care. So really it's about going out and being present and mm-hmm. making sure you are available to the needs of the hospital. So sometimes that's responding to needs specifically, and sometimes that's just being there to mm-hmm. say hello, to smile, to engage, to say how you're doing. And um, so the day kind of follows that. And then there are different events and things that kind of pop up during the day. Well, we are speaking with Andy Ross. He's staff chaplain at Wake Med Hospital, and he's, he's given us the lowdown on what it means to be a chaplain. And we are going to continue our conversation with him right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. I am Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, our guest here in the studio in person with us is Andy Ross. He is staff chaplain at Wake Med, and we are sort of diving into Andy's world, what it means to Mm -hmm. be a chaplain and how this resource impacts hospitals and patients. Yes, 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 yes. I think that I want to dive in a little bit deeper to your role. You are a huge part of the healthcare system. Um, coming from the hospice world, I see day to day how this all fits in. For someone who hasn't experienced being in a, in a hospital or in crisis or in hospice or wherever it may be, you may not understand how this fits into the healthcare system. Talk to us about what you think about the chaplaincy and where that fits in as the healthcare system as a whole. 
Yes, and like I said before, I think the healthcare system is um, em- embracing different kinds mm-hmm. of holistic approaches to life and health, wellness, mental health. But if you notice in a hospital that there's so many different disciplines, you know, you have mm-hmm. uh, the doctors, the nurses, respiratory, pathology, you have the psychologists and psychiatrists. So all diff- um, dealing with different aspects of the human person. Mm-hmm. Um, as chaplains, we feel like there is another aspect of the human person that binds all those other ones together. Um, and my in work and interest in spirituality as a whole, um, I define spirituality as that thing that kind of binds everything else together. It's your experience mm-hmm. of what we would call faith. You don't have to call it faith, but um, meaning your ultimate concern. Like what is that thing in your life that binds everything else together? Because mm-hmm. you have your physical life, you have mm-hmm. your mental life, you have your emotional life, you have your family life, your work life. But then there's this thing that you relate to, and you don't have to call it, it doesn't have to be a religious word, you don't have to call it God, but there's this thing that you relate to that binds everything else together. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the central component of my life. And as chaplains, we feel like we tap into whatever that is, whatever the person calls it. Mm -hmm. And when you're in a hospital, no matter what, something's going on, typically crisis-related. And by crisis, we mean that something in your life has shifted so dramatically that it actually shifts all those different aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Like when you're in the hospital, your family life has to shift, your work life has to shift, I have to take time off work. It's a physical thing, it's a mental thing, it's an emotional thing. So the chaplain, our role in the hospital is to engage the person at that level where everything is centered and yet everything is kind of moving around. And so we do that through just being present, through you know listening, through talking, through asking questions, but mainly just being there human to human. Mm-hmm. And I think our role in the hospital is to approach everything that's going on with the patient, the family, the staff on a very human level. Mm-hmm. Like what is going on? What this specific thing you're going through? What has that have to do with your entire life? And how can I support you in moving through this? And you know trying to put the pieces back together. It is whole person care. Yes. Whole person care. You just summed it up. No, 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 I didn't. You did <laughs> or, it. Or, or I'm just thinking said, yes. in my head, it's it like is, it is, yes. the hospital, all those clinicians you named, um, they're, they're treating some aspect of the person and you are kind of like the centering whole person care um, of making sure that whole person is taken care of. I, I think it's a, it's a beautiful way to look at our healthcare system as a whole to know that you know, every piece of you is is being taken care of. Yes, and it's, yes, absolutely. And the great thing is that it's really human-to-human human care. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. that's what it is. It's There's something, there's something intrinsically sacred and beautiful about another human being showing up and mm-hmm. being completely present to you with whatever is going on in your life right. without the need to fix anything. And we really mm-hmm. focus on that. Mm-hmm. Like everyone in the hospital has an objective. And that's mm-hmm. good. When you go to a doctor, you want the doctor to have an objective. You want <laughs> right. the nurse to have an, an end game. Like, yeah. oh, you know, this is your illness. This is what's broken. We're, we're trying to get you here. Right, right. And that's great. The chaplains are the one discipline in the hospital that doesn't have an end goal. Mm-hmm. We're just present to what is in the moment and trying to facilitate the patient, the family, the staff member's presence to what's going on as well. Mm-hmm. And we believe there's something truly healing about having another human saying, whatever's going on in your life, I'm here and I want to 
participate in acknowledging it mm-hmm. and hopefully helping you to move through it however that looks to you. I love it. I am sure that you have seen and you've had very many memorable moments in your role, and it's going to be hard to pick a one or two or three or four. Um, talk to us about, without any HIPAA things. Um, no your, HIPAA. No HIPAA. No, no HIPAA. HIPAA breaking. No HIPAA. Um, me- HIPAA, HIPAA. Most memorable experiences in your role. There is a stigma, of course, um, that uh, chaplains only respond to death. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like <laughs> when you see chaplains in the hospital, especially if you see a group of them moving together, that, oh, someone <laughs> someone must have died. Um, and that, I mean, we do so many more things than that. However, there's something about being present at end-of-life situations and beginning of life because the hospital is birth to death and everything in between. Those transitions using your word. Ooh, love that. Your transitions. Uh, a life coming into the world or a life leaving this world. Those tend to be the most sacred moments. I don't work with a lot of birth. I don't work with um, mother, baby in that area. So I tend to be around for a lot of death. And those honestly are some of the hardest, most beautiful most sacred moments that I can remember is when you're there and it could be a sudden thing where family's brought in someone, you know, motor vehicle collision, you know, sudden, um, heart situation stroke where it's just a surprise. And Oh my gosh, this person has been taken away from you. And you're just trying to hold space for that person to fall apart into that space. And sometimes it's the end of a very long life. A husband and wife been married 60 years and one of them are saying goodbye to the other one, but being there in those moments, I mean, talk about intimacy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the cool thing about wearing a badge that says chaplain or about being in a world that is, I believe, innately spiritual, whether they're mm-hmm. religious or not. Mm-hmm. We are invited into some of the most sacred, intimate moments. And being allowed to be there as the one you love leaves this world, being able to hold your hand, to say a few words, to say nothing at all, those are the things that kind of stick with me, I think. I love that. I love that. And you're probably there in a lot of crisis moments as well and responding to crisis with families, with their loved ones and and taking on what that looks like. Yes, because, you know, when you're going down the road, let's say you're driving down the road, uh, you see the Wake Med sign. It says trauma center because it's that's what it is. It's a trauma center. And I actually teach an interfaith didactic uh, called um, spirituality as interfaith bridge to our, our students. And we talk about the fact that what is it like to work in a traumatic environment? That means Everything that's going on is some kind of crisis, some kind of shift in that holistic perspective, and we're there to be present to that. Um, so, yeah, I, we engage that a lot. In fact, more often than not, we are engaging with patients and families in a moment where their entire life is shifting. And that is like, to me, I, I think about everything that you probably, I, I was in the hospital the other day and, it, you know. For you uh, or for uh, No, no, no. And, uh, for party transitions. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Not for Making me. Making sure, you know, we don't no, want to no, 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 just no. gloss don't, over don't that. Don't put you know? that on me. Don't yeah. put that on me. Yeah. Um, no, no. I, and you hear like code blue, code blue, everything. And uh, everything that goes through my head in those moments of like somebody, I, I just feel for pe- people when not knowing what's on the other end of that. And it was one of these moments of just pause and like, and how your team probably responds to those moments and, and, and reaching the family when, when they need you most in, in that crisis. 
Yes. Um, in fact, um, when you're going through uh, clinical pastoral education, you're a chaplain resident or even a chaplain intern. Um, we always have somebody who's on call in 12 mm-hmm. hour shifts. Mm-hmm. And the on call chaplain responds to every traumatic event in the hospital, meaning all the traumas, mm-hmm. trauma ones, all the cold blues, uh, coach strokes. So anytime there's something dramatic, which is, I mean, in a hospital, everything's dramatic, but anything that, anytime there's a traumatic event like that, there is a chaplain showing up. And oftentimes it is about reaching out to the family. If there's mm-hmm. a trauma that comes into the hospital, we are the ones that reach out to the family and let them know that their loved one is here. We can't mm-hmm. give them any medical information, obviously, but mm-hmm. we're the ones who let them know they're here. And I think part of moving through chaplaincy uh, and getting used to it and wondering, is this the type of work I want to do with my life, is how does that affect you? Being in a traumatic environment, being around crisis all the time, are you able to sustain that work? Is this something that you are also able to live a fulfilled, comfortable, peaceful existence being around that all the time? And mm-hmm. that's, I think mm-hmm. that's for the individual. But um, our chaplains, um, people who go into this work and actually love it, find that being in these environments, they're able to embrace it, be completely compassionate, present and empathetic, but also walk out the door at the end of the day and let it all go and go home and have dinner and kiss the kids, smack the kids. <laughs> I'm not condoning corporal punishment. But yes, so yeah. I that, don't know it, how you do it. That is the voice of Andy Ross. He's staff chaplain at Wake Med Hospital, and we're learning really all what is entailed with being a chaplain. And Andy, I blame medical TV dramas for not having the chaplain on the show. I, I blame them yeah. too. I think that's why this is a mystery. There's never an episode where the chaplain shows up and saves the day. There needs to be one. Yes. Yes. And, I, and that and I I mean some it, it drives some chaplains crazy. It doesn't drive me crazy. I embrace the mystery. I like it that we get to walk around the halls with this kind of because as you've noticed in the last I don't know how long <laughs> we've been talking, it's pretty impossible to tie down to nail down exactly what it is we do because yeah. it's it's mysterious and i like it that way i like that we are communicating with humans on a very human and also a very sacred and mysterious way so it's okay <laughs> network tv <laughs> any tv execs that's that's my pitch you know let's, let's make a show about a chaplain well we've got to take a quick break but we'll be back with more with andy stick around you're listening to aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you a service of transitions life care it's your life your care on fm 98.5 am 680 wptf news talk traffic this is aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you on fm 98.5 am 680 wptf 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with mary lucas and jason kong If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Our guest in the studio is Andy Ross. Andy is staff chaplain at Wake Med Hospital, and we are now going to explore the holidays and what that means. And Mary, you know, we were talking uh, before about this, for a lot of people, this is a hard time of year. And for those who have maybe suffered a loss throughout the year, Mm -hmm. this could be 
a, a first time experiencing the holidays without someone that we really care about. And that's that's always a real challenge. It really is. And when I saw Andy, when I saw you in the hospital, um, I think I maybe briefly mentioned at that point, it was like, yeah, the holidays, womp womp. You did. That's what we call in the profession, or I call, an automated response. (laughs) Hey, how are you doing? Fine. That's an automated response. How are you doing? It's the holidays. But what do you mean by that? So you hear that a lot. And the beautiful thing about our our job is that we get to stop and pause and go, oh, womp womp womp. What's going on? What do you mean by that? That's exactly what you did. That's exactly what I did. Whoa. That is exactly like what you trap. did. Like, hold on, I'm yeah. talking about my feelings and I'm crying. Yeah. You, that's exactly what you did. And I, I was did. like, okay, now I have to respond to that. Um, to. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's the first, uh, for those who listen to the show or our listeners, for longtime listeners, first time callers, um, uh, know that I talk about my grandfather a lot when he was around and caring for him. And he passed away um, a year ago last week. And oh. it's, it's, so we did a Christmas without him, but at that point it was like a week or two in. Yeah, yeah. So it was still very, very fresh mm-hmm. and it was very, very hard. But this year has been weird because, you know, you you help care for somebody and I check in on my dad pretty often and, and, and um, see how he's doing, especially last week. It was just hard. You feel yeah. a, a really big void. And so while the holidays can be a lot of joy, mm-hmm. you know, and they were growing up, they, they and they still are, but... You know, you you go over to your grandparents' house, you or you spend every holiday with him. We would go to his independent living yeah. home when he moved in there and make, you know, and they had these little special meals and everything Aww. was real sweet. Yeah. And now he's gone. And so there's also holidays can be a lot of joy, but they can also be a lot of loneliness yeah. for many. And I want to acknowledge that space. Absolutely. And and you probably see that all day every day. Oh, absolutely. And I think the things that bring us the most joy are potentially the things that bring us the most sadness, which is right. kind of what grieving is in general. You know, the the level of the grief, the depth of the grief is only equal to the depth of the love you feel mm-hmm. for someone. So when that transitions, I'm just going <laughs> to keep using again. that word. It's a beautiful word. Uh, so when that changes and all of a sudden I'm not this, – this part of my life is absent, at least in, you know, in our day-to-day um, – you're only going to feel the, you know, you're only going to feel what you felt before in a different way. Mm-hmm. So I think grief and love uh, and joy and sorrow are just naturally two sides of the same thing. That's interesting. I saw this quote. Um, it was actually on a quilt. It was on Instagram somewhere. I don't know how I come on across On a quilt this. on Instagram. On yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a very strange, <laughs> very, very, very strange. Um, I, and it clearly had found me because of course I it did. look at these things and I'm sure there was some algorithm. Um, or, or it just found you. It found me. I thought you were going it like found in me. a mystical direction. No, it, it, that too, because it, it hit me. I, it actually found me, I think, around the anniversary of my mm. grandfather. And I was like, oh. But the quote on the quilt, it was on the quilt, like someone had quilted the quote into the, really, I thought it was cool, but also I don't know why you would have a quilt that said this. So um, (laughs) not something you'd lay on your bed, Um, but it said, grief is love persevering. Ooh. Don't you like that? Grief is love persevering. Absolutely. Because I mean, the love doesn't change. Love, and we're not going to get into kind of my theology and philosophy of love, but um, you know, love 
endures no matter what. Love is. It's, it's, it's a reality that we fall into. What changes is our relation to how we experience that love, meaning right. that I experience love through my grandfather. And now I can't experience love in that way because he's not physically here with me. The love endures, but now the body, the mind, the emotions are trying to wrap themselves around that space. Mm-hmm. And that's why it feels empty and hollow. And that's why there's such a dramatic shift in everything in your life. I love it. So you, in your role, you you experience a lot with people who are, are dealing with that first mm-hmm. holiday without a loved one, oh, first absolutely. birthday without a loved one, absolutely. first this without a loved one. How do you help them cope with what that looks like? And, and how, what is your advice for someone going through this? Or how do you even respond? Well, the beautiful mystical thing, the interesting thing, the paradox about it is that there's nothing you can say and there's no one response because it's not... Grief is not something that can be fixed. So the way, the only thing I could try to do is just to be present to what they're going through in order to facilitate their own presence. Because like you said, why is it hard in the holidays? Why is it hard on birthdays? Because these are rituals. Rituals are important. They're they're the ways that we mark sacred times in our life. This is my birthday, the day of my birth. I'm celebrating another cycle around the sun. This is the holidays. This is Christmas. This is Hanukkah. This is Kwanzaa. This is, you know, Passover. This is what we do, Ramadan. This is what we do in this time of year. We do it every year. And who do we do it with? We do it with the ones we love. And so you're marking that time. And you notice how like, if you have a tradition every year, I do this on this day. Whereas you could not even be ready for that, but you bring out the smell of the tree or you bring out the the candle or this ornament you've had all year. And all of a sudden you're put there, you're put in that place because you identify what you're going through that holy day with that thing or with that person. So now that person is gone and you're moving through that ritual again. But the ritual has to shift. And the most important days in our life are still the most important days in our life because of the people we spend them with. But now this person is gone. So, of course, when you start marking those times without that person, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a struggle. And the only thing we can do to help is to acknowledge what they're going through, not Mm -hmm. skirt over it, not saying, you know, the thing we don't want to say, which is it's going to be all right. Because in this context, it's not like... This person you lost is not coming back in that form. Mm -hmm. And that space you feel, that grief, that emptiness is there. And all you can do is move through it. Mm -hmm. All you you can't go back. All you can do is move through it. And all we can do is say, would you like somebody to move through it with you? Mm. And that's all you can do. That was going to be my next question. How do you help someone as someone who is maybe not grieving that same Mm -hmm. loss? How do you help someone move through that with them? What do you, first of all, what do you not say? Because ah. there are a lot of don'ts, you should not say yeah. that. Um, and, and what do you, what do you say? How do you help? Wow. That is the, you're, you're asking the question. Um, talk about knots. Um, what you have to do, especially if you're in a profession of caring for people uh, through painful moments, is you have to recognize that it's not your grief. It's not your pain, and it's not for you to carry. One, you can't carry it for them. Two, if you try, you will only suffer yourself, and that's not also, it's not helping, especially to sustain in your life as a caregiver. So one, you have to acknowledge this is not your grief. This is not your pain. It belongs to the other person. And then what do you do? I mean, you don't shrink away from it. You acknowledge it. You open yourself to it, um, and you let them know in any way that you can, 
that what they're going through is important, it's human, and there is something on the other side, even though we don't know what that something is. Only the person going through it knows what it is. Mm -hmm. And also acknowledging that grief is supposed to hurt. It's mm -hmm. supposed to be painful. That thing you love, that center of your life that brought you so much joy. And yes, there is joy in grief, mm -hmm. but it's supposed to hurt. Mm -hmm. And so what do you not say? You don't say it's going to be okay. You don't say that it's just this, it's just that. Oh, you know, it's remember the good times. Yes, all that's wonderful, but <laughs> you acknowledge that right now, I see that it's hurting you. Would you like to talk about how it hurts. Like I think as chaplains, what we try to do is get into the human experience. Because if someone says to me, hi, I'm grieving this, I can't assume that I know what that means. You know, it's the holidays, wah, wah, wah. I can't assume I know what that means for you. So what do you do? I mean, it's what are chaplains? Chaplains are curious. Mm -hmm. are, and, and all caregivers, I think, are innately curious. But it's like, okay, well, what, first of all, what did you do with your grandfather? What are you missing? Mm -hmm. And how does it feel to not be with him right now? What does it feel like for you? What does it feel like to go home and to decorate and to be with other family members? So I think if you get into it, there is a healing element because as someone starts to talk about it, mm -hmm. they're moving through it. They're beginning mm -hmm. to acknowledge their emotions. Oh, I feel this way. I feel this way. If they're ready. And you also have to, you also have to be prepared that some folks might not be ready for that. Man, some great stuff. We're speaking with Andy Ross. Andy is staff chaplain at Wake Med Hospital. We're talking about grief and dealing with that over the holidays. We've got more with Andy right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, our guest in the studio is Andy Ross, official friend of the show, also staff chaplain at Wake Med Hospital, and talking about grief over the holidays. And Mary, we've got one more segment here to be able to probe Andy for his insights. So I'm let's get to it. I'm getting it all out. I, you know, I, I think a year later after my grandfather, is this not, I'm still grieving. Why? You know, mm. I still have these moments of crying and like, you know, I see something like... Um, an Italian ice at the grocery store. Ooh, it was like one of the last. It was one of the last things he ate at the oh. hospice home, and yeah, that's, and yeah. I helped him, and he was like, mm. Mm. and he really loved it, and that was very strange. He ate a lot of popsicles growing up. We always had popsicle oh. banana banana popsicles. Ew. Weird. I mean, yay! They're a thing. No, I could. They're I, know, thing. I know what you're talking about. I remember banana popsicles. <laughs> they normally came in twos, and you yeah. broke them in half. You know what I'm it's talking about? Exactly it's, it's the parent. About. It's the parents' way of trying to sneak fruit into their. <laughs> yeah child's diet but it's i mean to all the parents out yeah. there it's a popsicle yeah it's a popsicle um i remember those but like i feel yeah. i feel is this normal and i know that there's mm. people out there that may be listening that are yeah. like five years away from a loss mm -hmm. and still grieving it every mm -hmm. anniversary of xyz holiday birthday whatever 
is it okay to be, is it normal, first of all, in looking inward, at what point should you feel like, oh, this isn't normal anymore? Well, I think the simple answer, and I'm not very good at simple answers, so there'll be a complex <laughs> answer after this. The simple answer is yes, of course it's normal. And it's no- why is it normal? It's normal because you're going through it. But if you think about what grief is, um, you know, there is this space in your life that this person, this thing, this activity, whatever you're grieving, we don't just grieve people, we grieve all kinds of things. Um, there's this space that they left in your life that space cannot be filled by anything else. And the space doesn't go away, especially when you're talking about a loved one, someone who is there, I'm not saying you're old, but (laughs) someone who is there for your entire existence, and you define your existence in relation to this person. And then this person's not there. I keep saying not there physically because, Mm -hmm. you know, we have different opinions and ideas about how they are there with us, but they're not there in the same way anymore. That doesn't change. That space in your life never changes. And it shouldn't. It shouldn't change because that relationship was that important. Mm -hmm. What changes is our relationship to the grief. So, you know, it's it's, it's not always helpful to ask, why am I still grieving? I guess Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not saying you should or should not ask that. What's helpful is how am I grieving? How is it impacting my life? How am I living to honor this grief? Not just mm-hmm. to honor the person, mm-hmm. but to honor the grief. And I've heard from people who, after years and years and years, have moments where all of a sudden they're brought right back to, this person is not here in my life. And I think the shift that can happen is in the relation to the grief. The grief becomes as important as the person themselves. Because that mm. space that that person occupies, and we won't get into the theology of sacred spaces, but the space <laughs> that that person occupied represents who they are. I mean, this is, and I think in your sadness, you can come to honor that space and see like, you know, like, wow, the flavor of banana popsicle or this, Mm -hmm. that takes me back and I'm sad and I'm happy and I'm confused and I'm mixed up and, ah, and it's just, it's just wonderful because it's, it's him and it reminds me of him. I love, I love that. Um, I, I want I want to shift a little bit here um, in, in the next question. One of uh, There's a, um, a scripture, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's read at a lot of funerals. It's something yes. that popped into my mind when we were talking, yeah. and I had to Google it because I've heard it at a funeral, and I was yeah. like, you know, I, I had to Did you to Google it during it. the funeral? I, no, I didn't. <laughs> back in, no, I so Googled sorry. it on our last... You're back <laughs> in the back. Click, 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 click. No, I just no, know what that means. No, no, no. Um, but, you know, you are... You walk through these moments, yeah. and sometimes that question comes up: Why to? Why do bad things happen to good people? Oh. And the flipping of, uh, and yeah. I think this might be, you know, more so in people who lose someone very suddenly or yes. someone very young. Yes. How do you cope with a loss that? Um, when it is questioning your faith or oh, your purpose yeah. in life, you know, if, if you've lost someone, and you're like, why? I, why did this happen to me? Why? I don't believe in yeah. this thing anymore. Or why, what's my purpose here because of this loss and, yeah. and that feeling? Man, I think if you are consciously engaged with your faith experience, and I'll take it back to what we said earlier, faith is ultimate. It doesn't have to be religious. Faith is ultimate concern. Faith is, my, like you said, my purpose, the meaning of my life, how I am fulfilled, how I engage this world, why I'm here. If something significant happens and you question that, 
that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, if you're consciously engaged with your faith experience every day, you're going to question it because it's, you know, the experience itself runs deeper than our kind of understanding of it, our belief about, you know, the reason I'm here is deeper than my thoughts about why I'm here. Mm-hmm. And as our life changes, as we grieve, as we lose people, especially when things go the way or don't go the way we think they should right, go, right. that's where the biggest crisis is. And that's not, once again, that's also not a bad thing because we have our view of life. Mm-hmm. This is the way life should be. Sp- uh, speaking specifically about death and grieving, you know, I will lose my grandparents, then I will lose my parents, and then my children will lose me. That's how it's supposed to go in my mind. That is not how it always goes. In Mm -hmm. fact, oftentimes it doesn't go that way. And so what happens is in those moments, I'm drawn into a dark night of the soul where I'm questioning the very fabric of my existence. If it's not supposed to go that way, is there a benevolent God looking out for me? Is there, is the Tao still moving through me? How can I rearrange my life? And that's a good thing, I think, mm-hmm. because you're supposed to question that. You're supposed to question the meaning of your life. At least I do. Maybe I'm weird. Uh, I mean, you're supposed to question those things. So those dark nights of the soul, if you read deeply into the work of any like of the mystics like St. Catherine or anything who talk about the dark nights, there is always light on the other side. There is mm. always new life. And the beautiful thing about this time of year is that the re- one of the reasons Christmas and Hanukkah in this time of year is so hard for some people, not only because of the ritual, is because it's dark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a reason these holidays surrounding light are in the darkest part of the year. It's <laughs> dark. Not, I've never thought about life that. Life is dark this time of year. It it's is. supposed to be dark and cold, at least where we live. It's not there everywhere, but and so we celebrate that light on the other side of the darkness. So when you're moving into that crisis, remember you're moving into it for a reason, and there is something on the other side of it. I love I love that. I, I Not to talk about myself again. Talk um, about yourself. I, tell I, us I lo- about you. Tell us about <laughs> I lost you. my dog, my heart dog, Vespa. Oh. She was my uh, in July. Um, oh, my gosh. But uh, I had been pre-grieving, per my therapist, um, pre-grieving for quite some time and worked through it fine. It was fine. Yeah. It was a long journey for us. Um, she she passed on July 1st. On J- July 10th, um, I pulled a hospice dog from the shelter. Um, and hospice dogs are my thing. Um, I love hospice dogs. What is a hospice dog? They're foster dogs who are in their last days, months, weeks, years. Um, and so I've, I pulled a foster dog who, um, is on hospice with me. She has cancer, um, 10 days after the loss of my heart dog. And my parents are like, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you creating more suffering for yourself? I'm like, no, 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 no. This is the opposite of that. I just felt, uh, uh, and Darla, her name is Darla, my my foster hospice dog, has been such a light and something. It has given me a purpose, a new purpose in in losing Vespa, to to have her as a part of our home and to and so you were describing all of that and all I could think about is the light that Darla yeah. has brought, even though she's going to break my heart soon. Of course, and, and she's going to crush oh. me all over again. <laughs> you just got into some beautiful things. Of course, we don't have to get too deep into this, but we, you got into some beautiful things. Love in life is a setup for grief, no mm. matter what. When you love something in a life that's impermanent, it's a very Buddhist idea that in life, all life is impermanent. When you love something in an impermanent existence, you are going, either my wife or I will leave the other one someday. Mm-hmm. It will happen. Mm-hmm. And so 
to love something and abandon is a very brave thing to do. And also when you get into the purpose thing, like, no, 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 I need to love this other thing. You notice that my grandfather, my heart dog, this hospice dog, you are reorienting yourself toward a deeper purpose in your life, which is to love something and Mm -hmm. to be loved by something. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very brave to say, no, you know, I loved this heart person. Mm -hmm. I'm calling your dog a person. (laughs) And now I want to shift that love into this because it's that important. Mm -hmm. Only you know if that's healthy for you or not. And it sounds like it was. It is. My parents may disagree, but... It's fine. This is fine. To Mary's we're, parents, we're thriving. She's doing just fine. They love Darla now, but at that moment, yeah. they were like, mm, "You're crazy. This yeah. is crazy." And also, they're probably thinking, "We're gonna have to sit with you again with another hospice yeah. dog when you put it to sleep." And I, I, I feel that's painful for them too. Um, but I think you know it's worth it anyway. Andy, you've been wonderful. Thank you. For you coming. have been wonderful as well. I have. Andy, we time. could talk to you all day. I we, could talk to you all. Let's just keep going. <laughs> we appreciate you being present here with us today yes. and keeping us present. I, I see that's, what that's, you did that, there. I, I thought I did say something that was <laughs> great transition, that, that, yeah. Jason. Oh, oh man, we, we're on a roll here. I'm going to break the streak. So, uh, I guess I can just thank Andy Ross. He's staff chaplain at Wake Med Hospital. Always enjoy having you on the show, Andy. Thank you so much. We are out of time for today. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I'm Jason Kong. Thank you so much for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.